1: is there no end to your own hypocrisy? You got is power, you have no shame. Your only interest is political gain You hide your eyes and refuse to listen. You play your game Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Giorgiatos.
0: And hello and welcome to America, Can We Talk? I'm Debbie Georgiades. Thank you so very much for tuning in on one of our Thursday shows. Love the Thursday shows because they do what I love to do, which is deep dive, get into a topic, and really talk it through with an expert, a thought leader, and we have a wonderful one joining us here in studio today. We have in studio, I'm so grateful he was available, Jason Isaac, he is with the Texas Public Policy Foundation and he is a head of, he's a director of an entity within the TPPF called Life Powered. And I love what they say about what it is. I'm gonna read it very quickly. A national initiative of the Texas Public Policy Foundation to raise America's energy IQ. I just love that because energy obviously is a huge topic, climate policy, fear about climate going to kill us all, whatever it was 10 years ago, sometime it's going to kill us all. And the fear that has been infused in America's society about the levels of CO2 in the atmosphere, whether or not all the polar bears are going to die, whether we're all going to run out of something vital because of the presence of CO2 in the atmosphere has really caused, It is, it is a. Um, it's like a psychosis within american society a concern about climate is just going to be the decider of everything whether we can survive on earth and it also drives energy policy access to uh, fossil fuels it drives freedom issues a whole host uh, many many kinds we'll talk about today so that's what we're going to talk about today um, on america can we talk and welcome to the show jason isaac
1: thank Hi you there. Beth, it's great to be here thanks for great, having me
0: great to see you sir i'm so glad you're available I was going to say in your introduction before um, there's a slight um, error in your um, website about you. So I'm going to, or it's about what you do. Okay. It says you've appeared live on Fox Business Network, other national news shows, listens other. It does not list America Can We Talk. You got to fix that. You got to fix that. Okay, now I'm serious. My copy editor. <laughs> Okay, yeah, you tell them all about that. But on a serious note, uh, you head up Life Powered. Uh, Prior to that, you were a member of the Texas legislature. Uh, You're a fourth generation native Texan, which is a wonderful thing, but you also served in the Texas state legislature and you served on the Energy Resources and Environmental Regulation Committees. I assume, in those eight years, you learned a lot about energy policy, about depth and substance, not just a surface appreciation. So um, you received many honors. I'm going to go on and on about that. But you also, we're going to get to in about half an hour, testified in June of this year uh, before the US Congress House Committee on Oversight and Accountability. And it was a brilliant, I mean, brilliant thing you presented. Um, And you were basically talking about what happens when we elevate. Uh, Fear of climate change and ESG what happens to the average person the average business We're going to get to that later, but was really really brilliant But to start with because I want to I want to set this table people are worried deeply worried about the level of co2 in the earth's atmosphere and it drives the decision to Try to have net zero by 2050 (laughs) or all sorts of other agenda items so just to start with what you understand about climate policy Should we be worried about the level of CO2 in the atmosphere on the Earth today?
1: I just, I I did that, I took a drink for a reason. I just ingested (laughs) higher concentrations of CO2 than what's in the atmosphere.
0: (laughs) That was very clever. And and I assure you, I'm
1: not going to spontaneously combust. And and it's, it's not cyanide. It's actually... I referred to this on Terry Lowry's radio show one time that I, I recalled the God's gas because it's necessary for life on earth, this CO2. And so when you hear decarbonization or net zero or low emission future, these are just some of the buzzword the left is using. And as I testified in Congress, I know we're gonna to get to this here in a little bit. I said, it's not about emissions. It's not about pollution, it's about control. And that's all they're trying to do is control everything that we do in our life. When you look at CO2 in the atmosphere, it's point zero four percent of our atmosphere point zero so that's
0: a zero point zero four correct that's what co2 the percentage in the atmosphere yes
1: and when you look at water vapor it is seven and a half to ten times more prevalent in our atmosphere than co2 but you don't have people screaming for net zero h2o which is actually a more heat trapping gas. It's much more prevalent. You just had a volcano erupt in January 2022. It's the Tonga volcano. There's a couple of different names for it, but it actually increased the water concentration in our atmosphere 10%, a significant increase, literally in the matter of a couple of days it was released into the atmosphere, but no one's advocating for banning volcanoes.
0: Or, yeah, and no one is trying to tax release of water vapor by business, by industry. I mean, it's not something you go after. It's only CO2.
1: No, it's, it, it's so it's interesting when I, I get to debate people that are in the, the climate alarmist movement, I ask them, do you advocate for net zero H2O? And they're they, it's like their minds, their eyes roll back <laughs> in their head and they're so confused. And I said, because actually it, it is creating warming. When you look at the lakes that we have built, to produce hydropower, which takes up the most amount of land of any electric generation sources, hydropower. Takes up more land than wind, takes up more land than solar. Uh, So it does take up a massive amount of land, but then increases the humidity. And I said, so when you guys start advocating for draining Lake Travis in Austin, we would reduce the humidity significantly around that area, and it would change the climate around Austin. You have more green now because of this atmosphere, because of the water vapor in the atmosphere. We've, we've looked at the numbers with the, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They're trying to stave off one and a half degrees of warming. We've already warmed 1.2 degrees, by the way. So they're really just trying to stop this 0.3 degrees. Because again, we're already at 1.2. And, and the improvements that we've seen while we've seen this 1.2 degrees of warming have been astronomical for humanity, the amount of flourishing that we've seen. But when you look at CO2, and if we completely eliminate CO2 emissions in the United States by 2050, as called for in the Paris Accord, the temperature differential by 2100 is less than one-tenth of one degree. We're at 0.08 degrees, and we destroy our economic prosperity and our way of life. Okay,
0: you, you hit so many points, which is <laughs> fabulous. I want to go back to the beginning of it because I want to just focus in on the fear that has been created in public thought about CO2 levels. And I think Mr. Emilio, my happy producer, I believe we have the cl- clip one, and I think this is the correct one. If you can just put that up for, us to, for our happy listeners to see, for all of us to see, uh, it's a chart. Do we have I think we have. Anyway, so I don't. This is a really good thing to point out. And by the way, for our listeners, you can leave this up while I'm saying this. Um, during the time of, of doing this show, last ten years, I reviewed at great, great length a submission made by two. These are. People. These are PhDs from Princeton and MIT. So they're very bright people, uh, Dr. Happer and Dr. Linzen. And they submitted a lengthy, lengthy comment to the SEC when the SEC wanted to uh, promulgate yet another regulation related to ESG, more disclosure about about how much uh, CO2 does your company put into the atmosphere and what are you doing to, to remit it? So they, they submitted a very lengthy piece just to say, there's no reason for this regulation. Point one, I want to be sure we all get clear. This is a chart, and for those listening, I'm sorry you don't, I can't see it visually. This is a chart uh, uh, entitled, Current Levels of CO2 Are Near Record Lows. It's going back million years before present, so far left, 600 million years before the present, up to basically uh, now. And it's talking about level of CO2 in the atmosphere. And so if you, I mean, you can, it's got this PPM, which is parts per million. Yes, correct. And and the left
1: uses that it's, it's 422 parts per million. This is a communication technique that they use, which I pick apart because I'm like, I I can do math and (laughs) I can divide that by a million and come up with the actual percent. Which is more my, my my way of communicating? It's a more effective way to realize and to tell people that that 422 parts per million is 0.04 percent.
0: Yes, it is making the same point. I love I'm very visual, like staring at charts. Just, so if you can't see this because you're listening on um, just in some other way, you can't see. 550 million years ago, 500. Because, well, there were any cars by then? I
1: don't think. <laughs> no, no, no
0: cars, no trains, no train, yeah. airplanes. This must be the
1: industrial era that we can't remember very and well. Yeah, pre-humans,
0: but hey, yes. Okay, five hundred fifty million years ago, the level of CO two in the atmosphere was eight, nearly eight thousand ppm, nearly eight thousand parts per million. And now we're down to over. So at the far right on this chart, which is basically now, is showing where we are in comparison with various points in human history. CO2 levels have jumped up 550 million years ago, at a low 300 million years ago, going up a little bit. The point being, CO2 levels went down and up before there were cars, vehicles, industries, factories. So what, actually, what makes that happen? Do you need well, to know?
1: It, it's it's the climate changing, and it's, it's the earth adapting. Uh, so you're having different things happen. And I like to show that right about here at about 1,600 parts per million, you'll have greenhouses that will increase the CO2 concentration in their greenhouses because what happens? Plants thrive with higher levels of CO2, and they use less water. And so you hear from the left all the time, oh, we've got to conserve water, we've got to stop all this water usage. Okay, great. Well, one way to do that in our food production is to increase the, the concentrations of CO2. So greenhouses will buy materials to increase it. Uh, uh, right here at 5,000, talking to people in the Navy, this is where a submarine will resurface and replenish its air at 5,000 parts per million. And we're at 422.
0: Yeah, we're, we're way, we're way
1: down way here. Way low. Um, And that that number does vary depending on the time of the year as seasons change. They use one monitor in Hawaii to measure the CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere. And that's taken as the science. Maybe that science needs to be questioned because it does. It drops drops into the 300s and it'll go up to the 500s, just depending on the time of the year. And really the life cycle of plants uh, in the atmosphere do impact that.
0: It's an astonishing thing. And really, for people who don't want to be as wonky as I like to be and read so much stuff, this chart is telling you, I'm going to go to the next point in a minute, but this chart is telling you that long before Anything, the combustion engine, <laughs> whatever you call it, combustion engine. Long before there were airplanes and all that, we had very, very high levels of CO two in the Earth's atmosphere, and actually, Earth just kept rolling along, climates mm-hmm. change, and we progressed. So that's the first one. Any you other know, points on this one before? And it, actually, say your number again. The percentage of CO two in the atmosphere is, is
1: point zero point zero
0: four. The entire atmosphere made up of water vapor, yes. nitrogen, whatever other stuff. Yes. Okay. So let's hit chart two. Do you have that one also? Okay, because I think these things are, um, this is a comparison of global temperature records for uh, two periods in the 20th century, Uh, one being 1895 to 1946, and the second one being 1957 to 2008, which obviously the one on the right has occurred at a period where we had cars and planes Mm -hmm. and all that. And this is global average temperatures in time over the years. And again, if you can't see these, it's exactly the same.
1: Yeah, this is pre-industrial area that you're looking at here. Um, and then we're, you know, we're in this current industrial era that we're living in right now. And you do see a decline. And that decline has continued for about seven years of temperature reductions. But you don't hear about that. What you'll do is you'll have the, the, the so-called climate alarmists that call themselves climate scientists will cherry pick certain data to, to sell their point. And they will ignore the fact that in the 30s, 1930s, it was as hot as it is this year.
0: It's astonishing. I mean, how much has been for scientists, how much they've been able to push an agenda by misrepresentation. I think you were the one that said on the show previously or at the summit how if you can pick, if you can find down a tiny little period of time, and show a chart, if a tiny change is being shown, it may have been from year one to year next, it jumped up and they can have some some alarming sounding label on it like, well, 4,000% higher than yesterday or whatever it yes. was, but it's always cherry-picked to misrepresent. Right. Now, And, yeah, know, and, I,
1: and I am, I'm intentionally cherry-picking data as well, showing that it's cooled over the last seven years. I'm not concerned about that cooling. We're coming out of an ice age. Our planet's probably warming, but that's been good for humanity. But what's been better for humanity is capitalism and access to affordable, reliable energy, primarily from hydrocarbons, which are Fossil, Fossil fuels. fuels yeah, that's yeah. you know like oh don't say that word, but I say hydrocarbons and it confuses people So if you want to know how to confuse your friends talk about hydrocarbons because polling shows that people just don't know what that is So hey aren't hydrocarbons great. I mean they've, they've made this this can possible They've made the clothes that I'm wearing possible my, my I'm not wearing them now, but my favorite pants lululemons I mean, they're the most comfortable clothes ever on the face of the earth in my opinion um, but they're made possible because of access to fossil fuels. They're made with hydrocarbons.
0: Love that. Love that. There's one last chart. This is not clip three, but, Emilio, I sent you a, second, a separate email that had one more chart I want to hit. I just think for people who think, I want to see data, what this is showing historically, and, and again, you should memorize this if you're watching this, what this is showing is that there's no comparison, there's no correlation between CO2 levels and temperatures historically over millions of years and so you have you have I mean the if you can't see far away the blue line is showing CO2 levels it's jumping all around CO2 levels and then the red line is showing temperatures and there's no correlation there's no they're not parallel lines getting to the point even if we have a little more CO2 today than yesterday or next year than last year we're not necessarily we should not be anticipating a massive rise in temperatures
1: no and and this is this is great data and i I love it that you have this scientific information when i was just looking at data i think it was last night or this morning but everybody's talking about how how much polar ice you know has has receded over the last you know 10 years then actually you look back to today in 2005 and polar ice the the thickness of the ice was less than it is today It was at a low point, but it's less than it is today. But we've had all of this emissions since 2005. And so if emissions causes warming, then we should have less ice today than we did in 2005. But we have more ice. We don't. We have more. Uh, You you mentioned polar bears in the introduction, and I love talking about polar bears, and I know I I probably use this line. You go right ahead. I I mean, if if polar bears are the barometric measurement of climate change, then there needs to be a big banner that says, mission accomplished. In the 70s, there was recorded between 6,500 and 10,000 polar bears on the planet. And today, and I joke, this is why Russia is invading Ukraine, because they're getting attacked. And you can go look at the headlines, polar bears invade town, and it was happening in northern Russia in Siberia. But there are over 40,000 polar bears today. So mission accomplished, yay. So if you see a protester and a polar bear in a climate you know, protest, then you probably wanna go take them some water because they're probably gonna get heat exhaustion. Yeah. Um, but they're, and, and, and then why they're attacking towns is because there's so many of them and they're bears. They're gonna go to where the food supply they're is. Hungry. It's happening here you know, in the United States. It happens all over the world. Uh, but so if that's a barometric measurement, boom, we've, we're done. Next, let's go. Let's move on to there another you go. Fight.
0: Well, ice levels up, polar bear population up. The other one that was so fun were penguins, who everyone loves penguins. And I don't have the data in front of me, so I'm not going to pretend. But I did put out a little tweet out about it at some point about how the penguin population, another catastrophe coming our way because of climate change (laughs) although the the disaster never happened i don't know if you have up top of your head i don't know
1: about the penguin numbers but penguins are doing quite well as well but i think the big problem is the species that's doing so well and i think this is where you get into the root of this evil from the climate cartel the climate cult is humans are doing extremely well in the last hundred years our population has quadrupled and during that time frame the reduction in deaths from severe weather-related events is down 99%. So we are adapting to severe weather. The climate is extremely tough to live in without access to energy, without access to infrastructure, and that infrastructure is built by affordable, reliable energy, primarily, again, hydrocarbons, fossil fuels, uh, and so we are surviving really well. And then people say, oh, the cost from these storms are up billions of dollars. Well, sure. People are moving to the coast where there are hurricanes. And they're right. building and, really, and, and really building nice, nice things. House. Expensive homes. And, well, so what do you business. expect is going to happen? Yeah. I mean, the most deadly storm that we've had in the United States, in my understanding, I know it's, it is in Texas, is this storm that's ironically now called Isaac's Storm. No relation. Um, but it was <laughs> the early 1900s and it, 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 it wiped out Galveston and killed yeah. over 10,000 people. Yeah. and It was devastating, and so how did we respond? We built infrastructure, and now there's this seawall around the island of Galveston that's made of huge concrete barriers, only possible with access to energy. And that island now is is doing what, quite well. It's still gonna get hit by hurricanes from time to time because that's what's happened, and it's happened for centuries.
0: Yeah, you know, I, as again, I we can't, we have many other things to talk about today, yeah. but. The, the many predictions were more hurricanes, more deadly hurricanes, or just everything that can occur in, in the natural world is going to be worse because of climate change. Every time there is a bad hurricane or a tornado or fires, wherever it is, the answer is, oh, well, climate change, CO2, global warming. and And facts like you presented, and I know the same kind of facts are available about the frequency of hurricanes, the harm from hurricanes. It just doesn't make it past the desks of smart people like you into the, I mean, the mainstream media is just jumps on the idea. Oh, look, hurricane must be climate change. And those mean oil companies are probably at fault.
1: I mean, if you have the the wind blows the wrong way, they're going to name that, oh, this deadly storm wind, you know, Irene or something. They're going to come up with some crazy name as they're doing for all these storms now and weather events, they're starting to name them to put fear into people. And that's what they're doing. They're peddling this fear Uh, and it's unfortunate, but when you look at the strength and severity of storms, they're actually decreasing. When you look at the amount of land that's being burnt by wildfires, it is decreasing, even though you have these terrible policies in Canada and in California where they are saying hands off of the forest and the best people to manage the forest this day and age is the forestry companies because they're going in and they're clearing the forest. They're, they're actually getting products out of the forest and replanting those forests. That's why in Texas there are more trees today than there were hundred years ago. And you wouldn't think that was the case with the massive amount of growth and development that we've seen, but that is the case
0: more trees in texas now than
1: 100 years ago
0: 100 years ago wow well one last thing on this and i want to turn to your testimony in congress and also bidenomics that's a great topic about bidenomics because you know they're saving everything you probably didn't know that um but in this article i, I sent you is climate change uh lies and this isn't your article it's, it appeared um i've mentioned my show many times there's a great substack called and a-n-d and sub it's usually written entirely by sam fattis a former cia operative who's a brilliant thinker on a whole bunch of security issues. But in any case, he had a posting up by a guest poster that was running through the litany of climate change lies. And just he would put, here's what people think is true. Here's what's true. Here are the facts. Here's what they think. Here are the facts. And I urge people to print out this kind of thing, what you write, to be able to refute. Because the media and government, to a large degree, is pushing all this climate change alarmism. And everyone, in order to get grants to get power, to get anything, they have to play along with it, which you hit on very well in your congressional testimony. This kind of stuff has to be pushed out, this, every bit of the kind of facts that you present. Um, and actually, uh, I'll say one last quick thing that was from this article. Because part of the answer you hear from climate alarmists is, well, but real climate scientists, the real scientists, 99% of whatever it is, 77% of climatologists agree. This article points out. 1609, 1,609 scientists, including two Nobel Prize laureates, signed on to a, uh, a, a statement recently. These are climatologists, scientists, professors, the declaration there is no climate emergency, and they strongly oppose the harmful, unrealistic net zero CO2 policy. So it isn't even true that there's a, there, there's a you know, unanimity among alleged experts.
1: Yeah, the the 97% of climate scientists claim is one that we've debunked at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. We've peeled the layers back of the research and they're reviewing papers and they're basically saying, well, sure, the climate's changing. Well, then all again, they get counted in this 97%, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, and when you ask most of those scientists, they're, they're like these 1,600 or 1,600 plus. These are Nobel Prize winners that, are, that have signed on to this pledge that we are not in a climate crisis. Uh, and it's quite the, the opposite. We're doing quite well. And it's been great to see over the last decade, you've seen people like Bjorn Lomborg, Borg, who's kind of a leftist, move to the right. That yeah. If we'd been spending money, in, instead of wasting it on so-called climate solutions and spending that money helping people, we could have lifted a billion people out of poverty and saved. Saved a ton of money doing it. And those people that when they get lifted out of poverty, they live longer, healthier lives. And I, I talked a little bit about that summit. And I'll probably share some of the numbers today about who's impacted most by climate policies. Uh, but you, Michael Schellenberger, Bjorn Lomborg, uh, Steve Koonin, who was in the Obama administration, the Department of Energy, has, has written an incredible book called Unsettled, which really gets into the science.
0: I love that. That's a good time to segue to that now before we get into your testimony in Congress was it's not just that lies are being placed out there about CO2, the danger, the temperature, but it's actually kind of without saying so, it's a lie about how much fossil fuels and our tapping of fossil fuels have improved the quality of life on planet Earth. I'd love to have you just run. I know, I know somewhat you may say and I love it.
1: Yeah, you look at life expectancy, it's increased significantly. When you compare our lives here in the United States to those in Africa, we're going to live at least 20 years longer than the person there on that continent. And I and I would say Africa is being used as an extraction colony. You've got China coming in and buying land and co- owning and controlling mines for, sometimes it's not rare earth elements, but it's critical elements, co- cobalt, lithium, things of that nature, where you, the UNICEF reports that you have Kids between the ages of four and 13 working in this mines, 40,000 kids between those oh. ages working in mines. I've got pictures of Siddharth Kara, who is another, uh, I consider a leftist. He's on the, he's on, more progressive, not conservative by any means, not a free market capitalist like I am. Uh, but he wrote this incredible book called Cobalt Red. He's got pictures of young girls that don't look much older than 13, putting their child in a box on the ground so that they can go back to working in the mines. And these are all surface mines they are called artisanal mining, which sounds really good. That sounds like a nice like restaurant. artisan. You go, ooh, artisan sounds incredible. (laughs) But it's not. It's kids working with little hammers and pickaxes to get the elements out of there that are really unhealthy conditions for them to be in. So it's absolutely crushing what the Biden administration and really the climate cult, as I call them, I believe it's their religion. It's their faith. They don't have a a faith in the Lord like I do, uh, which is really unfortunate because they've been manipulated so much that their mind really believes that we've got to destroy the planet to save the earth, which is what's happening with all of this renewable energy. Uh, but it, it, you got the World Health Organization, the World Bank, the World Trade Organization, the World Economic Forum, the United Nations. They're all denying countries in Africa access to capital if they're investing in infrastructure based on fossil fuels. And to me, I think that's inhumane. And I keep asking members of Congress, when are the human rights tribunals going to begin for Klaus Schwab, Antonio Gutierrez, people like Bill Gates? They need to be called before Congress to answer questions from the people that they are impacting because not allowing these people to invest in infrastructure based on fossil fuels. You have an entire African country whose grid collapsed last week. They will be weeks without power. What Um, country? I can't remember the country off the top of my head, It's a smaller African country, but their grid completely collapsed. You have people in Ethiopia, and I show this video of this young girl named Aisha, A Y S H A. I believe I showed this at your summit, and Aisha spends eight hours a day walking to collect water. She's 13. Women around the world today will spend 200 million hours walking to collect water, and to me, that's heartbreaking. And it's, and they're being denied access to energy that would liberate them and their lives. Imagine 200 million hours being spent on civic engagement, getting an education, there's so yes. many, raising a family. There's so many things that you could do with that time. And I hate wasting time and to see that women are, are, are really being subjected to this. And there's two reasons that Aisha has to collect water for her family. Number one is she's the woman in the family, which is heartbreaking to me. It's just completely discriminatory. And, and then, and then number two, um, they're, they're, she can't do homework. But she has to collect the water. And so it, it's just absolutely, you see her in the video doing, and her little brother's doing homework. And why can't I should do homework? Well, because she's a woman. And she has yep. to spend all day collecting water to provide for her family. She'll spend another hour a day collecting biomass, things like animal dung, wood, other things that will burn so that they can heat that water up to be somewhat potable. But you still have an overwhelming number of people that die from water-borne illnesses uh, in Africa and other places around the world. Africa is not the only one. India, there are other countries. Now Sri Lanka, unfortunately, this country that was on the way to prosperity, until they had the first ever candidate who, who ran as the first ever net zero candidate on the face of the earth and then he started implementing his policies and was run out of his palace
0: yeah that was a great uprising by the way sri lanka people just said no more of this um, i do want to go back even something more basic i think i'm you were the first person i heard talk about this but you know because fossil fuels have been so demeaned by by media by government People can lose track of how much the creation of fossil fuels, the combustible engine, cars and trains changed life and I, I think it was you who gave the example of when you live in a remote area, whether in America or any place else, and until cars and trains came along and buses and uh, you didn 't have any capacity for easy transportation mm-hmm. to your community, food medicines, uh, you know clothing, basic human supplies thing, supplies to build a home. Everything about what transportation can bring to people changes your quality of life. And you had examples about remote areas, and I don't even know where it was. But you know, before trains came along, you basically had whatever you could find in your own little community. These, these uh, benefits, these enormous benefits of fossil fuels are lost in the battle over CO2, uh, the claim that CO2 is a problem.
1: Fossil fuels are our freedom. They are key yeah. to our freedom. I think Jackie Daly said at one time, it, it gives us the freedom to move, to, to transport. Yeah. And I'm like, that's incredible. Just, just last week, I was in a coal-fired power plant in eastern Wyoming, in Gillette, Wyoming. I, just hours before that, I was in the, uh, the largest coal mine in North America, where you see people that have good-paying jobs, and it's just beautiful country out there in eastern Wyoming, they come in and they take the surface of the earth off, if you will, get the coal out from underneath and put the surface of the earth back. And it's this beautiful grasslands and streams and antelope all over the area. It is absolutely incredible. So they're getting our energy and then they're restoring the land. It's called reclamation. They're reclaiming the land. But then we're back in this coal fired power plant and it's beautiful. It's meticulous how clean it was. And and we get to show this video to legislators there that why we're world leaders in environmental protection in this country because we use pollution control technology so we capture the things that are coming from the burning so the only thing you're seeing coming out of a smokestack is really water vapor so it's not it's not even a correct name to call it a smokestack it's really a steam stack yep. you're just seeing water vapor come out those that, that, that deadly greenhouse gas that's also required for life on earth you know water
0: yeah. you know water. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to turn to, because part of it, so it's one thing to have a scientific community uh, misrepresented by many people in media, and then also have the push from government funding coming to the government, from the government for people who will do things. We're going to hit the carbon capture uh, manufacturing or, or factoring coming in a moment, but the other thing that's happening is this, this culture of climate as a religion, and that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It has invaded our politics and our laws. And so you did wonderful testimony, uh, and again, for our listeners. This was testimony uh, by our guest today, Jason Isaac, uh, before the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Accountability. And it was is posted under Life Powered, where, uh, under TPPF, and, um, which I got it and printed it out. And I lamented earlier, talking to Jason, that I got my yellow highlighter out to highlight the important sentence. <laughs> Is, and the whole thing is yellow, because it was an amazing, amazing uh, testimony Thank that you, you presented to Congress. So, uh, you're starting with, I guess, you're basically talking with them about ESG. Yes. Just run through, what ESG is, what were your, your several, your top points you were trying to make? So, so
1: ESG, probably better known, people don't understand social credit scoring, which the Chinese are pushing on their people, they're tracking them, they're watching them cross the streets, they're giving them demerits if they jaywalk, things of that nature. ESG is the social credit scoring for businesses. Here, primarily in the United States, but European as well. Uh, It stands for environmental, social and governance. So how are your environmental policies at your company? How are your social policies? Basically the social part is DEI. Are you implementing diversity, equity and inclusion within your corporation? You know, forcing companies to hire people that may not have the merit. They may not have the job qualifications, but they look a certain way or they act a certain way or they identify as a certain way. And then your governance is how much money are your executives giving to Republican candidates is really what it boils down to. To Republican candidates. Uh, of course. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> if they're okay.
0: doing that, they're out. Yeah.
1: The, yes. And that and that's what it is. So we want to know how much your executives are giving to political campaigns. But it's primarily weaponized against conservatives. And, and ESG has been weaponized against country companies to the tune of... What's happened in the oil and gas industry, I started to hear from oil and gas producers saying, well, we can't get access to capital. Our bank won't loan us money anymore. And I'm like, well, why? Well, it's because we produce oil and gas. I'm like, wait a second, but you're a profitable company or, or dealing with these, some of these executives that I get to talk to, like, they've built several profitable, very successful companies. And now their banks are cutting them off. And I hear from, from one uh, guy named James Lofton who testified in front of the, the, the House of Representatives in Texas, and he, was, he jumped up to testify in support of a bill that I, I wrote the first draft of. And this bill says if you boycott, divest, or sanction fossil fuels in the state of Texas, you can no longer do business with the state of Texas. Not in, but with. So you won't get any state contracts. And then if you have state contracts, you're gonna lose those. Uh, and this was really targeted at those companies that were weaponized, those financial companies that were weaponized against American energy producers. And I didn't know this guy, James, and he jumped up and testified. I got a little nervous when he did because yeah. sometimes you'll get witnesses that just go off on a, a tangent and they'll kill your bill if you're working you know, to pass something and completely unscripted. And he jumped up and he says, actually, I was here to testify for a couple of bills dealing with the Second Amendment, but I'm, I'm sitting in the audience and I'm hearing testimony and I'm reading the bill and he goes, this is a great bill. And he talks about how his business, an oil and gas services company, they don't produce oil and gas, they don't transport oil and gas, but they're a services company, much like an HVAC company that will come into your home or your business. That's what he does on the oil and gas industry. And his bank, Chase Bank, according to his testimony, said, we're no longer going to extend you a line of credit. And this guy had 35 employees, and he thought he was going to lose his business. He thought he was going to have 35 families that were going to be impacted by losing his business. And it was heartbreaking to me to hear this. I'm like, wow, how stressed out were you? And he says, I I was responsible for 35 families and their primary breadwinner. And the bank said, because I'm in the oil and gas business, they were no longer going to do business with us. Well, fortunately, he went out and found a couple of Texas banks that not only extended him a line of credit, but wind up doubling it because his business is that strong. Uh, Frost Bank being one of them here in Texas. So that, that's a great story, but you do you have these financial institutions that are weaponized against American energy producers? We've heard it time and time again. A Bank of the West, which is owned by this French Brazilian conglomerate, they're on the boycott list in Texas. It's called BNP Paribas because they say we are no longer going to do business, make our services available to companies that earn more than 25% of their revenue from the production of coal or oil and gas. Well, that's a complete discrimination against American energy. BlackRock, being the biggest financial institution on the face of the earth in the world, managed over $10 trillion in assets. They actually control much more than that through their software systems. But they're on the boycott list in Texas because of a bill that I, I wrote the first draft of. The legislatures, legislators passed it. The governor signed it. It became law. It was a priority from our lieutenant governor here in the state of Texas in 2021. Okay. first state in the nation to pass such a policy, pushing, pushing back against these woke political ideologies that companies are forcing on us. I just love that. And then you, you covered a lot in that, in what
0: you just said, which is wonderful. And I want to just go into some of the details of, of your testimony because I thought it was really... Uh, and actually, before I do that, I want to ask you about this. So you're in Congress and you have this brilliant testimony. Did you read this into the record or you just turned it in?
1: You know, it's interesting. I just turned it in because I'm sitting there and I've t- this is my third time I've testified. And, and Debbie, I'm, I'm like you know what, I'm not going to read. I'm going to talk from the heart. And so I just, I'd already submitted it electronically because they want to pick it apart and try to ask me questions. And, you know, the Democrats will show up and and they'll they'll attack you for their five minutes and won't give you any opportunity to respond. So I said, you know what, I'm not going to read it. It's already been submitted. I'm going to tell stories like I just told about James Lofton because I told that story on the record, on camera to members. I gave them specific examples of financial institutions weaponized against responsible American energy producers. We produce energy more responsibly than anywhere else on the planet here in the United States. We need to liberate American energy, but Congress doesn't want that to happen. At one point in time during my testimony, I tell people I'm Jason Isaac, I live a high carbon lifestyle (laughs) and I think the rest of the world should too. It's truly where you look at places that have high CO2 emissions, they're wealthy, they have economic prosperity and they also have the cleanest environments. Clean air, we're world leaders in clean air in this country. We've reduced pollution. Not CO2, as you know, they'll call it carbon pollution. It's not a pollutant. Yep, you have emissions right. of CO2 and water vapor, but the pollution, the six criteria pollutants that the EPA tracks, we've, we've reduced those nearly 80% over the last five decades. We're world leaders in cleaning. We've reduced them, We've by reduced eight. it. Our air is so clean that we, during the COVID shutdowns, we had 50% fewer vehicles on the road, and air quality in some cities in the United States got worse. It didn't improve, they were negligible. And then you had a couple that actually saw slight improvements, but they were negligible. They were on the margin. Because our air quality is Was practically so near a natural state here in this country, where weather is going to impact it more than, than humans are. African dust blowing in during a certain time of the year. The fires in Mexico, the fires in Canada, the fires in California are going to impact it more than we do. And so I, I, I talk about my high carbon lifestyle and how I love it. And then Congressman Raskin from Maryland jumps up there and refers to me as a carbon king. And I'm like, I love it. I own it. I've got, a, <laughs> I've got it printed on a wallet. It's on my business cards now. I'm the carbon right? king. And so I do. I love it. But I, I do advocate for a high carbon lifestyle because it does mean economic prosperity and with economic prosperity you get environmental leadership and I am an environmentalist. And clean air. I love yeah. our land and conservation yeah. yes
0: well one point uh, for, I love all that one point you uh, talked about or isn't is the article where you submitted it my question actually is going to be how much the Democrats picked on you uh, when you finished this presentation whether you I guess you didn't read this but you Correct. told the stories I mean are the Democrats or whoever is against you but are they picking on specific details, or are they just kind of assuming everyone understands CO2 is an evil and they, they can't get beyond that?
1: So because I'd had testimony prior, I think they went in and watched some of the highlight reels that I, <laughs> that I later used to my advantage. So I, I testified twice in the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, uh, I think 2021, 2022, and then this was obviously 2023. And Sheldon Whitehouse, Senator, came after me and attacked me during that testimony. And I'll be honest, I had no idea who he was. I, I wanted to go yeah. in naive. I didn't want to do research. I didn't Want to be jaded i had no idea who he was and someone even was like i watch out for white house and and again i had no idea who he was i know who he is now but he came (laughs) after me uh, and was attacking me and like oh you are just an extension of the fossil fuel industry you accept money from fossil fuels and he holds up these big boards and he's he's just grilling me how much money does the texas public policy foundation get from fossil fuels and and he's just leaning forward i said I said, well, I, I, I don't know exactly how much money we get from people that are in the business of fossil fuels, but I can tell you this 100% of our donors, and I should have said, and 100% of yours, benefit from fossil fuels. Yeah. And, and I did. And he just, he just gasped and gasped and, oh, oh he didn't know what to say. <laughs> of course, we have a highlight video of his reaction, uh, which is on our YouTube channel on texaspolicy.com, yeah, uh, which is just, I, I loved it. I had so much fun. It was great.
0: Yeah, yeah. you know, it is an amazing thing. You're actually speaking to a, a somewhat deeper point about how many people, they because they've been propagandized, they think that CO2 is a danger. They think that fossil fuels are going to kill us all. And they're not really, they're not the malicious leftists who manipulate this issue as the World Economic Forum does. Mm-hmm. And many people who are just, international globalists, socialists, communists, they use it to the to their advantage to try to turn countries just into submission to it. they claim. I mean, climate policy is openly described by World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, as a vehicle to international control. Oh. He, he absolutely says that.
1: Yeah, he, I mean, he's pushing for the Great Reset. I, when I first heard about this, I was like, there's no way. And then you go and you look at the World Economic Forum, it's on their website. They, they are pushing it. this Great Reset. And just this week or maybe last week, you know, Bill Gates shows this UN agenda new logo, you know, 2030 something. And I'm like, that is the enemy. They are wearing it on their chest. That is you know, today's Nazi symbol. They're yes, trying they are. to get yes, rid of humanity to, uh, and reduce population. The World Economic Forum has had Jane Goodall in front of them talking this couple of years ago, talking about to get back to a sustainable planet, we need to get back to the population that we had in the 1500s. That would be a 95% reduction
0: oh my gosh. from where it is today. I'm sorry, that was the actual testimony?
1: Yeah, she was speaking at some World Economic Forum summit. Jane Goodall. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The lady that's for the, the apes. The, I know, you know yeah, I'm, she yeah, loves yeah, apes. Not the human apes, apparently. Right. <laughs> there's, too, there's too many of us, even though, again, we're producing enough food to feed 10 billion people on the, fa- on the planet right now, which is incredible. There's only 8 billion of us. Uh, you know, I say go forth and multiply. Live the high-carbon lifestyle. We're going to continue to find ways to innovate and make people more comfortable and help them live longer, healthier lives. Actually, you know,
0: I sent, I went to your Twitter. By the way, um, you have a great Twitter feed. And actually, I sent, Amelia, you know, I sent two clips. This is the first clip from his Twitter feed. Oh. If you can quit. No, it's a good one. It's a fun, very quick. Ah uh, yes, I, yes. Okay. This great. Volume. Our aim is to permanently remove carbon from the atmosphere and reduce population.
1: Okay. She actually said this. Our vice president actually was talking about green energy and electric vehicles. And I think she meant to say reduce pollution. <laughs> but but you, like you can't. You, slip. you can't. We've done the research. You take half the cars off the road in this country and you don't reduce, reduce pollution. But she had a Freudian slip, I think but I really honestly believe that they believe there's too many of us, but, and she said, reduce population. And then she said, so our children can live healthier, longer lives. I'm like, wait, you, first of all, you don't even want children on this planet. Um, and I want to go into too many other policy areas, but in oh. and, and that commercial, the clip from that was Lisa Jackson, former EPA administrator, who's now at the, you know, head of environment and climate or something at Apple. I, I'm a huge Apple fan. I love Apple products. Uh, They make incredible computers and phones and services. I I, I love the company and their products and services. I wish they would get out of the politicization that they're so heavily involved in. But Lisa Jackson said this. This was a scripted video. That wasn't like a live clip. You're not gonna. You're you're gonna read a script. She was prepared to say this. Our aim is to reduce or to eliminate carbon from the atmosphere. Which is which would
0: be deadly to that gets rid of the planet. Yeah, we're a carbon-based life form.
1: Right. Yeah, I I think on that, it's like you are the carbon they want to. Eliminate
0: yeah, that was a great clip one more quick clip and then I was directions directing want to go go ahead If you want a good great clip you had in your tweet your twitter feed
1: We okay. also Stand ready to work together with china on issues where
0: progress hinges on our common efforts Nowhere is that more critical than accelerating the climate crisis than, than the accelerating
1: climate crisis Okay First of all, Jordan Peterson you know. retweeted that. And my, <laughs> my wife and I were at, in Wyoming uh, on this legislative conference at this energy tour. And my I, I walk out of the restroom and I'd seen my phone notifications and my jaw just drops open. She's like, what? What happened? And I said, well, Jordan Peterson just shared, reposted one of my exes or whatever they call them now. Yeah. Um, and you know, he's got 4.7 million followers to my 12,000. And so we've had hundreds of thousands of people see that clip. But the fact that the yeah. Biden administration is working with the, the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, to accelerate the climate crisis, which is a which mental disorder. Which is exactly disorder. what yeah. he's doing. Yes.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Okay. One quick thing you mentioned in your testimony, I didn't know about it. Someone hit Bidenomics, but I, you know, you talk, and many people talk about Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street. They're all involved with essentially limiting your financial capacity to get any lending, to get any support, unless you go along with their ESG thing. Correct. And so, I mean, which I had not stopped to think about, you made reference actually to your policy director, Brent Bennett, pointing out keeping politics out of Texas pensions through proxy voting reform. There's actually a market for proxy voting advisory services Mm -hmm. that actually looks for people to vote their shares, apparently, to get control of companies to push the climate agenda, is that correct? Yeah,
1: the cli- absolutely, they're manipulating the market to benefit themselves. When when we you know, were instrumental in passing the Senate Bill 13 in Texas, this if you boycott fossil fuels, you can't do business with the state of Texas. Met with BlackRock, I got an opportunity to visit with some of the, their executives in our boardroom at the foundation, and I asked them about them supporting the replacement of board members within Exxon, and they supported this engine number one, this activist shareholder that had a very, very small percentage of stock, but they were recommending new board members. And they were successful in replacing three board members at Exxon with people that want to decarbonize Exxon. The planet. So yeah. they, and I'm like, wait a second, you want to decarbonize a business that produces hydrocarbons? That's like defooding a restaurant. Yes. It doesn't do anything for the business. It certainly doesn't do anything for the environment or to mitigate a changing climate. Black's like, well, we don't want to get into that. And, I said, and so I started to question them because I've, I've done my research. Yeah. Well, Exxon, to meet their decarbonization goals, sold assets that they were going to produce oil and gas in in Southeast Asia. Shell's doing the same thing in the Permian Basin. They're selling these assets to get out of the business of producing hydrocarbons, So they're decarbonizing their portfolios to the incredible detriment of pensioners. But Exxon sells these assets in Southeast Asia. And guess who they sell them to? PetroChina. Indeed. And I, I'm like, do you think PetroChina is going to produce that oil and gas as responsibly as oh. ExxonMobil? I don't think so. Well, guess who has a 7.5% stake in PetroChina? BlackRock.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so BlackRock's
1: now decarbonizing. They're just forcing, and that's why I call this the China ESG agenda it is a pro es pro china movement mm-hmm. look at all the the places where we're and, and biden lifted the the mandate that solar panels and the components go in them be manufactured in the united states because it just doesn't happen they're manufactured and made in china he lifted that mandate that was in the inflation reduction act to the benefit of china so china sending us all these solar panels and, and manipulating our energy markets and it's crushing americans just real quick in texas in the last three years we've seen it's 25 percent Increase in cost of electricity. Disconnect notices from 2021 to 2022 in the United States for electric utilities went up 30%. 30%! People are getting their electricity turned off. I started working at 12 years old because we got our electricity turned off and I wanted to help out around the house. So I'm cleaning up animal stalls so that we can help out and get our electricity turned back on. It's pretty critical to have. Uh, So that's, that's where my background is. So I know how important those costs are 76% 76% increase in natural gas disconnects from 2021 to 2022. That's Bidenomics.
0: Okay, that's actually let's jump into that then because you had a great piece on which I was telling you beforehand was also wonderful about Bidenomics. What is the action or non-action by the Biden administration that's causing this massive bump up in disconnective electrical power, disconnective natural gas. What is, our poli- what is the policy that's causing that?
1: Well, it's the, the market distortion. You know, here in Texas, we've seen wind generation and solar generation. During winter storm Yuri, it was 33% of our grid. A third of our grid was producing, at one point in time, 1.5% of our electricity. At the entire week of winter storm Yuri in 2021, it produced about 8.5% of the electricity that we consumed. A third of our grid producing eight and a half percent of our electricity is absolutely appalling. But there's no reliability requirement for electric generation. So you can put, you can put a bicycle on the grid and get paid subsidies and call it renewable energy and just pedal when you want and produce electricity and you're going to make out like a bandit. But what happened is you had two thirds of our grid, natural gas, coal and nuclear, producing over 91 percent of the electricity during the week of winter storm Uri. So we've seen this prevalence of, Brent Bennett, our PhD, our brain brain trust, if you will, at the foundation, on our grid reliability expert. He's a PhD battery scientist. He knows the limitations of batteries. He also worked in the oil and gas industry, understands energy density very well. But we have an overinvestment problem, and people are overinvesting in unreliable sources of electric generation. I see investment as a positive word. It's because the market is so manipulated in their favor because of federal policies, like the production tax credit. Robert Bryce just came out with some numbers this this week. We we were showing that solar gets 75 times the amount of subsidies that, and we include tax credits that businesses take as a deduction, standard Mm -hmm, deduction. mm -hmm. We included those as a subsidy, although they're really not, but we did. We wanted to compare apples to apples. Solar was getting 75 times the subsidy of natural gas and nuclear. Robert Bryce comes, comes out with new numbers just yesterday, I believe. It's 300 hundred times the amount of subsidies that they're getting. And so this overinvestment is because of market distortion and is killing our reliable electricity. It happened in Germany. Their costs are the highest for electricity in the world. Freezing deaths are on the rise and cold temperatures are much more dangerous than warm temperatures. I think it's embarrassing for Germany that the, and Nikki Haley should be jumping all over this uh, on the campaign trail. The largest manufacturer for BMWs is not in Germany. The largest facility is in South Carolina.
0: There you go. I want to go back to 300. This Because uh, one point I was going to make about all the subsidies that the government says they want to give to these naturally occurring, uh, you know, to um, solar, wind, and all that kind of stuff. When they say they give subsidies, it's just tax dollars. So it's people who work, and then they have to pay taxes. The government takes that tax money, use it to subsidize these unreliable sources of energy which, then, which, then, which lead to the energy shortages we sometimes, at least we had during uh, that ice storm in Texas. Yes, yeah, so we're paying out of we're, multiple
1: pockets. We're paying with yeah. higher tax liabilities. Our tax dollars are being used to benefit, again, I mentioned China earlier. It's predominantly foreign companies and foreign countries that are benefiting this. You look at uh, most of the wind generation in Texas is owned by Electric de France, EDF. They don't have competition in France. They are the electric provider in France. They're it's a, and they're 100% controlled by the government of France. So we are subsidizing socialism in France to the detriment of Americans that are paying higher taxes, much higher tax liability. Our debt is through the roof, and we're paying higher electricity costs for it. Anywhere it has been tried, it has failed and resulted in higher costs. And I say anywhere it it being this variable unreliable sources of electric generation, namely wind and solar.
0: Okay, so I know it's a bigger push in Washington to get energy policy to change. How's it going in Texas? Is Texas responding, Texas State Legislature responding to your yes,
1: initiatives? Yes, but not fast enough. We're doing great when it's coming to pushing back against this ESG, this weaponization of the financial markets. We're not doing great when it comes to grid reliability. The wind and solar yeah. lobby is way too strong. And we've got to have our politicians in Texas and in D.C. wake up. We have to stop the subsidies. It's, it's like my goal this decade is to eliminate the production tax credit. This tax credit that heavily distorts the market in favor of wind and solar. We have Got to stop that and level the playing field, but this this, carb- this cult like fascination with decarbonization is what 's partially driving some of this, and the inflation reduction act unfortunately put the subsidies of the past on steroids uh, there 's only four states that rejected inflation reduction act I, I tweeted this out last night during the debate. You know Florida is one of them. Iowa, Kim Reynolds is another one, Christy Nome in South Dakota, and Andy Bashir, the Kentucky governor. Um, so Kentucky is a big coal state, and those, in Ron DeSantis, those four states are the only states that have said, we're not going to take Inflation Reduction Act money. We need other governors and other states stepping up and passing laws to reject those dollars. Did
0: Governor Abbott explain why he did not reject those dollars?
1: No, and I, I just don't know.
0: Okay. what the motivation okay. is there. Well, one of the things to talk about, and there were so many things. I had this feeling last time you're on the show, I need three hours, but,
1: yeah, I yeah. Want, <laughs> but I want to- I want to say Governor Abbott because I want to give him some props because he has directed our Public Utility Commission in the best directive I've seen on in July. Okay. 6th, 2021, he directed our Public Utility Commission to ensure that the variable for- sources of generation pay for the unreliability they're imposing on the market. And the Public Utility Commission has yet to implement that, but we are keeping the political pressure up on them and working with them to find a solution that can be implemented, but it needs to be done much, much earlier than later. And or we're, we're going to see deindustrialization like Germany has. Yeah. We're, we're going to lose more manufacturing to China. And then what we do is we export those jobs and then we import the pollution. Uh, I've tested, but this is what I've said in one of my lines of testimony. Of all the technology the Chinese steal from us, it would be nice if they would utilize our pollution control technology. But they don't, and that actually imports our impacts our air quality yep. here in the U.S.
0: Okay. I, I feel like I have 10 directions to go and very little <laughs> time left. I do, we do offer our audience a chance to ask questions if they like to have a microphone over there. But one of the thing was, I saw this article and I almost thought it was a joke. You know, I thought maybe it was like Babylon B that he'd put it out, but it wasn't a joke. The Biden administration has now announced they're going to have the largest ever investment in engineered carbon removal. They're going to spend 1.2 billion, be as in boy billion. No southern border wall. I'll just point out, but we can spend 1.2 billion dollars to vacuum up climate warming gases <laughs> in the air. They're going to do, in Texas. This is oh, there are two I, plants, no. one in Texas, one in Louisiana, wherever the other one is. Gar, pull carbon out of the air and pump it under the earth, down with the rocks, and and they're putting 1.2 billion dollars. So. Please, just riff. What in the? How ridiculous is that? First of all, that?
1: storing carbon underground and pipelining, you know, transporting it to places is is going to be an environmental disaster waiting to happen. There's already been issues in Louisiana where they were storing carbon underground, and you had some issues that have happened. You had health issues with people. First of all. It doesn't do anything to mitigate a changing climate. Absolutely nothing. We've looked again at the numbers. You eliminate all CO2 in the United States. It's less than one-tenth of one degree difference 50 years later. That's temperature nothing. Temperature-wise. Temperature-wise. Temperature wise, it does nothing to mitigate a changing climate. But they're, they're providing, they went from a $50 per ton of captured CO2 as a credit, a tax credit that businesses would take. Well, those businesses lobbied in the Inflation Reduction Act, realizing that to break even, they needed to be at $700 per ton. And so they got the credit boosted to $185 per ton for direct air capture, which is the most inefficient way to capture CO2. The mo- if you want to capture it, it's the most inefficient way, getting $185 direct payment. So that's why Oxy out in the Permian Basin is building this huge multi-billion-dollar facility and then they're going to sell the credits. There, it's, it's created math. It is the biggest scam. I think I have stuff on my my Substack at isaacforenergy.com about how this is just the greatest scam of our lifetime. It's the great carbon capture scam, as I call it. Doesn't mitigate a changing climate. It makes energy more expensive, and that expensive energy hurts the poor. These environmental policies. I saw Gavin Newsom last night after the the debate, and he's just smiling and talking about the environment. There's a reason why he's being sued by a group called the 200. It's over 200 civil rights organizations that probably not watching. They're very leftist progress, progressive groups. They're not certainly not affiliated with the Texas Public Policy Foundation, but they're suing the state of California for violating the Civil Rights Act because they say their environmental policies have a, a discriminant impact on communities of color. The lead attorney on this lawsuit calls California's environmental policies Green Jim Crow. That's her words.
0: Okay, this is actually, you know what? I'm very sorry. I had not caught up with that story. I, mean, I love that. I do want to go back for a moment. I didn't know you had a Substack, Isaac for Energy. I mean, you write so well. So, my happy listeners, Isaac for Energy on Substack, please go check that out along with the information at Texas Public Policy Foundation. I think I've sufficiently run out of time. Actually, anyone, if anyone has a quick question, I, I have a bunch more, but I always say we can. Anybody have a question? Okay, no questions. Good. Okay, so I want to go back to this, though, about uh, Gavin, about First of all, about politics overall and how people react to the climate thing. There are people using climate ideology to gain political power. It is World Economic Forum. It's all of the globalists. It is many people in the US government. It's the Biden administration. It is, it is many leftists in this country. But the other problem is the propagandized masses who truly believe they feel so virtuous if they if they stop driving their car, they work from home, or they avoid taking a vacation, driving the car because it might hurt things. We have a propagandized population in America just overwhelmed by fear and overwhelmed by by false prognostications about what will happen if you burn too much energy if you if you you know go on vacation someplace and the flight takes too long i mean we now have france that has limited uh, short f- short distance flights the the law now is you can't you can't take you can't fly short distances anymore airlines had to stop that because it's you know too much gas burned or too much fuel burned you have to uh, so how do we get america i mean the, the mass in the world especially americans to wake up and just stop saluting to the climate agenda
1: I'll pitch another substack that we have, it's called Classroom Powered. It's our education effort, something that we started years ago or or working on years ago, and then we hired an education coordinator about a year and a half ago to lead this effort. A year and a half ago, we had three curriculum units for use in the schools in Texas. It was really focused on ninth and 10th grades. They were STEM focused. So three units that aligned with the standards. We had maybe 125, maybe at most 200 kids learning these on an annual basis. Just a year and a half later, we have over 20 curriculum units that align with state standards because of one person that we hired. She's made this her passion uh, and and has done an incredible job. Next month, October, this year, October is Energy Awareness Month. We have over 40 teachers signed up that will be teaching 3,500 kids positive things about access to affordable, reliable energy. They'll be teaching them classroom powered curriculum units. You can find out more about this, search classroom powered if you want to support this effort, I think this is this is how we, and, and I told this to people a year and a half ago, this is the seed that we are planting that will provide the fruit in the shade 20 years from now and will help kids stop them from suffering from climate anxiety, which is a named diagnosis now yes. that over half of the population, half of the children suffer from. And they shouldn't, they should want to export affordable, reliable energy from this country that we produce more responsibly than anywhere else. And when I took this job at the foundation five years ago, my boys asked me what I was going to do. And I said, I'm going to go work to end poverty around the world. And you do that with American energy.
0: That is so well said. Okay, so we are out of time. I do want to encourage our listeners again. Uh, First of all, thank you, Jason Isaac, for being here today. Thank you so very much. Um, For people to follow you and follow all that you do, Texas Public Policy is at texaspolicy.com. Correct. They can find, when they go there, put your name in, they can find the things you write. Yes. They can also go to Isaac for Energy, the Substack. I love Substack because it's it's serious. Yeah, no ads, it's just you get to read. Um, And then the one you just mentioned a moment ago, Classroom Power. Is Ka- the name classroom of it?
1: Powered, yeah.
0: Classroom Powered, yes. oh, that's okay. That's
1: our Education substack for educators. So if you're an educator around the country and you're looking for some curriculum, we're doing the work for you. We're developing this curriculum, we have it. We'll send you materials if you need them for this exercise, but we, we have some good unbiased information about energy produced in this country.
0: Yeah, it is the most amazing thing to have, not just Americans, but so many in the world, I keep using the word propagandized, hypnotize. Yes. Uh, they have been just, they have been inundated with lies about climate, about about the danger of CO2, danger of fossil fuels, danger of driving their car. It causes a, a world to be more timid, more uh, just live in fear. And it absolutely is being manipulated in order to gain political power. And so uh, what you, the work you do is extremely important. So again,
1: I, I want to tell people to embrace the high carbon lifestyle and help others get there too. It's, <laughs> it's the way to economic prosperity and environmental leadership.
0: OK. Jason Isaac, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Debbie. Thanks for being here. Okay. And for all our listeners, thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk? My name is Debbie Georgiadis. You can find every interview, every blog post, everything we do at our website, americacanwetalk.org. I do this show, America Can We Talk, to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time.
1: Can we talk truth about America?
0: Can you